of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thanks, Fink. <laughs> oh, how's it going, everyone out there? This is your good friend, Dane Elves. Uh, you know, over here, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, like we are every Thursday at 7 o'clock until 10 o'clock on the dot. Of course, we have my co-host, uh, Christopher Ray Patton. Uh, how did you like that intro from Howard Fink? It was pretty great, man. Uh, we got kind of cut off, but I, I got what you're going for. Adorable. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, that was totally him. Um, anyways, I hope you guys are having a lovely evening, a lovely week. I hope you guys have watched lots of wrestling. We're going to be going over Wrestle Kingdom. First and foremost, uh, there's a little bit of Facebook edge with uh, mixed match tag team edge stuff we're going to be going over. Uh, we got some news. And then we have the list. Uh, so, yeah, stay in tuned. And uh, if you guys throughout the whole entire thing, you want to call in, ask questions, say something, uh, not do some impression and say penis or some shit like that. That's fucking stupid. Don't be dumb. Just call 929-477-3781. You'll be on hold at that point. Just press 1, and you'll join the conversation with me and Chris. Uh, all right, Chris, uh, you ready to talk about the Wrestle Kingdom? Hells yeah, man. I'm stoked to talk about it. Now, I'm going to admit, I have no idea if you did or not. I didn't catch the pre-show Royal Rumble thing. I did not either, and the New Japan Rumbles are weird because they have pinfalls, I believe. I did read, you know, the highlight, but I did not catch the pre-match. I I, I ended up watching the the couple matches I missed from the American version that showed on Access on Saturday. I ended up watching those online, but I had... I haven't seen any footage of that pre-match, so I ended up not uh, not seeing any of that. So apologies ahead of time for anyone listening that hey, hear about that. Match. No apologies to me uh, and anyone listening. It's a pre-show match, and I didn't watch it either. So deal with it. <laughs> God, you're a good cop. I'm a bad cop, if you can't tell. All right, but uh, it's a great pay-per-view. Um, definitely enjoyed the crap out of it. There's only two matches I could have gone uh, without, uh, but we'll get into that. So let's start off the, the first match, actually one of my favorite matches um, for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match. The Young Bucks defeated Rapongi 3K. Um, Nick Jackson tapped out Yo in a sharpshooter to win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion, I believed for the sixth time. Could be wrong about that. I'm sure Chris will yell at me if he knows differently. But... Either way, this match was a banger right off the start. Um, the stuff that they did to incorporate how both of their backs were bothering them, like especially Yo, selling-wise, was incredible. Uh, they really just built up a great story and told it in the ring. Uh, the part where they corner Rocky, and uh, I think they power-bombed him uh, outside, and he sold that the whole entire match. You didn't see anything from Rocky Romero. Uh, I thought the Bucks were incredible. I thought all of them were great, actually. I, I really like Rapongi 3K. I think uh, – they're, they're both extremely talented guys, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I can't – this was a lot of fun, especially to start off with. Uh, you know, you had a really, really great tag team match that was very physical right off the bat. Christopher, how did you feel? It was a, a really good tag match, and I was kind of surprised it was, you know, being that it was the opening match, but I think they did a really, really good job overall. Um, and, by the way, Young Bucks are seven-time champs, and uh, – 
Uh, I thought it was fun. It was it was different than a normal uh, Young Bucks match. Like if you're like a casual Young Bucks fan, maybe you've seen some of their stuff on YouTube. It, it was actually they worked a lot differently. There was, um, I, I would say, just a lot more. God, how how would I word this? It seemed like they really really tried to drive it with a wrestling story. Um, it wasn't there wasn't as many. I mean, they still did their typical spots, but there weren't as many spots. It wasn't like your typical spot. Yeah, it wasn't gimmicky. It, it wouldn't be what I would call a spot best match. And I think this is one of their better matches I've seen in the past three or four months. Um, definitely, it was one of my favorite matches, but this uh, the entire show was so damn good that it's hard to even order these from top to bottom as, like, favorites. But it was a, it was a good match. It was a lot of fun. Um, I like the finish where they hit the Melter Driver, and then you uh, got Nick locking in the shop, sharpshooter after, uh, you know, totally working over the back for so long for the tap out. I mean, it was, it was a really good match. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the next match. Uh, this is one of the ones that really, I don't know. I just kind of get bored. I mean, I watched the whole entire thing, but a lot of the guys I wanted to see um, within the match do more, um, especially war machine and Michael Elgin. I, I really like Hanson, big Michael Elgin fan. Uh, Raven Rose. Great too. I just, those two especially, I'm a kind of a mark for. Uh, but uh, basically, they had a gauntlet match for the Never Open Weight Six Man Tag Team Championship match, consisting of Chaos members Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano, who is always fun in matches. Um, they defeated uh, the Bullet Club, uh, Bad Luck Folly, Tamatanga, uh, Tonga Lo, um, and Michael Elgin and War Machine, like I said, Hanson and Raymond Rowe, Suzuki Gun, Tachi. Tazaki Izoka, and by the way, Izoka is a weird dude. We were talking about, like, someone you can uh, put in with uh, Abdul the Butcher. That guy would be kind of interesting, just from visuals. I never really saw him, but it seems like he's kind of goofy, actually. But anyways, it was Tai Chi, him, and Zack Sabre Jr., um, and they had the rest of the, the fucking Suzuki Goon, too. And then uh, Taguchi, uh, Japan, with Juice Robinson, uh, Taguchi, and Togi Makabe, uh, Beretta pinned Tonga in the final fall with the Dude Buster cradle back to belly pile driver to win the match and the six man championship. Um, I did like Beretta a lot. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I've, I've really liked him ever since he worked with uh, with uh, Kenny Omega. And uh, well, I mean, I liked him in, in uh, Rapongi Vice too, but I'm just saying, uh, he was fun in this match. Uh, it was just kind of all over the place, it kind of dragged a little bit. See, the thing is, it sucks is I can't think of anything in general from it other than maybe, like I said, the one dude who was getting pulled to the ring by people and then kind of going off to the audience from um, from Suzuki Gun's team. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you felt differently about this, Chris, um, but let me hear what you think. I think the last, like, five minutes of the match were the best. Uh, like, the finish was pretty good. I, I think um, – the crowd was really, really into the end of the match, but I, I kind of agree with you. The beginning of the match was a little, a little slow. Um, just kind of basic. When you have this many people working in the ring, and New Japan tends to do it a lot, I think the it, it kind of takes away from a lot of the other stuff that they do. Um, it's also weird that Beretta, you know, ended up winning here because now he's once again in the tag team, which I, if I'm not mistaken, he was trying to separate himself from tag team competition. And granted it is the never open weight um, tag championship. So it's a little different, but it is kind of, 
kind of a weird spot that they, he ended up getting a win here. I thought Tamatanga and Beretta were the two best in the match overall to finish a lot. But, you know, outside of that, uh, it, it, I just I'm not a huge person on multi-man matches or, you know, three-man tag team matches. I've just never it's not really done anything for me. Um, but I mean, it was, it was fun. It, it didn't, I wasn't like upset that I was watching it, but at the same time, in comparison to a lot of other stuff on this card, it was probably one of the weaker matches. I agree. And, uh, it seems like I'm right with you, honestly, with multi-man matches, um, unless it's in a video game, uh, it only seems to work out with some gimmick matches. Like if you have four people going for a ladder match, uh, just cause more guys can create more scenarios and stuff. It just, it gets, I don't know. Less is more uh, when it comes to professional wrestling. That's why tag team and single wrestling is so fun and and awesome is because you can actually tell a story. It just seems like a bunch of spots when you have just guys coming out. And, you know, it it was weird at the beginning. I do agree that I want to see Beretta and and Tamatanga tangle up a little bit. I think they should have a whole match now, uh, maybe based off of this. But uh, let's get into the next match. Um, Kota Ibushi defeated Cody Rhodes. I'll say his last name. I don't give a shit Abushi pinned Cody with a Phoenix Flash to get the victory over him. Um, I thought this was a fun match. It seems like even though Cody's pretty high right now, he keeps on losing consistently uh, between now him, Dalton Castle, uh, losing the Ring of Honor Championship, Okada. But, hey, I still love Cody. Um, I love Brandy. Um, I love their dynamic. Uh, I think it was Don Callis who said that, you know, she's, she's been studying her Bobby Heenan. And I thought one of the best spots, honestly, in the match, uh, this match wasn't, I'm not, I, I liked it a lot. I, I liked the, uh, the story that they had. I don't think anything was too crazy or anything like that. Uh, but I'm not going to say it was a bad match or by any means. I, I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, anyways, uh, where Brandy gets, you know, smacked by Cody, and uh, Abushi gets, you know, worried, so he goes to check on her, and it's all a trap, and then both her and Cody are, are laughing maniacally together. I thought their dynamic was great, and I am a huge Kota Abushi fan, so he was, they were both really good in the ring, um, especially Kota, uh, but h- how did you feel about it, Chris? I, I thought this was a, a pretty good match overall. I um, I also like Brandy. Uh, I, I like the dynamic that they brought out. I like the... Uh, him wearing the, you know, the, the ring, which I'm assuming is his dad's hall of fame ring. I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't know the whole backstory of that, but him taking off the ring and the kind of the pageantry before the match, as well as uh, the same spot that you were just talking about where Abushi uh, accidentally hit Brandy Rhodes uh, or, or no Cody hit Brandy and Abushi tried to help her up. It was very, um, Macho Man Miss Elizabeth, so to speak, in that sense. Uh, I think instead of watching Bobby the Brain, she should look at, and I know this is going to sound crazy because by comparison, Bobby the Brain is, uh, you know, an amazing manager. Um, but, like, what Maurice and the Miz do, I think, would be probably a good comparison. I think we could get it to that level. because uh, um, Or maybe some Sherry? Yeah. Yeah, Sherry Martell and uh, King King Macho Man would be a, a good comparison. I think that would be someone a little better because no one's going to get to the level of uh, Bobby Heenan, and they're not going to give her that much mic time. Um, and Cody, you know, Cody can talk, so you don't really – he doesn't really need a mouthpiece, the same as the Miz. So if you're going to do it, I think, Mar- you know, Maurice and Miz or, or Sherry and Macho Man would be probably a better comparison. Um 
overall, I, I really enjoyed the match. I don't think it was, you know, it was a crazy great. I like the Ibushi uh, hit the last ride. That was cool. Um, I like all the stuff that, that Cody's been doing since he, he's gotten back. I like that he started, he's incorporating, you know, the disaster kick a little bit more. Um, that Phoenix splash was, was pretty awesome uh, at the very end. I enjoyed the match. It, it didn't blow me away. Um, the chair stuff in the middle, I, I got it. Uh, it's kind of something that I'm not a huge fan of in New Japan just because I, I, I just like the straight wrestling um, that's usually portrayed in New Japan. Uh, so like when you think about when we get to this main event, main event with Okada and NATO, I, you know, I, I enjoy the occasional chair shot or something, but I, I don't think that they necessarily needed it in this match, but I think they made it work. And, and overall, I thought it was a good match, but there were, there was, like I said, there's so many damn good matches on this card. I, I think the next match was slightly better than this match, but this match wasn't, wasn't bad. You know, um, it was better than the, the two matches. And uh, I'm trying to get behind Cody Rhodes, but I, I like I never was a huge fan of Cody Rhodes, even when he was in WWE. It's not that I dislike him or think that he's like bad in the ring. Um, just nothing about him ever really stood out uh, to me as like a, a, an amazing performer. I know he's done some really good stuff in in Ring of Honor recently, with uh, feuding along with uh, Dalton Castle and those guys, but. Still, I just don't see him at, like, at the same level as, say, a Kenny Omega or a Jericho or an Okada or a Nato, especially when you start looking at the top of this roster, you know. I can, I can agree with that to an extent. I think that he is getting better now that he's been on the indie scene, uh, you know, compared to, like, how he was in WWE. He's definitely made a, a name for himself, and I think that, his uh, marketing uh, himself, along with what he's doing with the Young Bucks, you know, he's a uh, he's a pretty different guy in wrestling. But yeah, um, by no means was I. I, I really, I, I gotta ask you actually before we keep on going. Um, do you feel like Cody with Brandy, like it is too much of a similarity to say the Miz with Maurice? Like it seems like almost the exact same concept almost. Yeah, I mean, I think the big difference is in, you know, in New Japan, you, I mean, you have managers, but they normally don't get involved in the match. So for the New Japan audience or the Japanese audience, it is slight, I mean, it's different. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's the, the, that's why I drew that comparison. But to be fair, you know, they've been, that's been done for years. It's not like the Miz uh, came up with that concept or that idea. It, it's more just, you know, it just gets recycled through. I think that she's doing a good job. I, I think what Miz and Maurice were able to do over the past year um, with all of the different creative ways that they, they came up with for her to screw people from beating the Miz. Um, that's why I said if, if I was going to be watching anyone, it wouldn't necessarily be Bobby the Brain Heenan, even though obviously he's a better manager than Maurice. But for what they're trying to get and do, I think Maurice and Miz have kind of nailed it the past year. And, and it's fresh on our minds and we watch more of it. So it kind of, I think it, it sticks there a little bit more, but uh, it is similar. There's definitely similarities, but also there's, you know, as far as Ring of Honor goes and the indie scene in New Japan, no one else is doing it. And you would think that the majority of that crowd probably aren't huge WWE fans. I don't want to, I wouldn't bet my life on that, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say most New Japan fans probably aren't tuning into WWE on a weekly basis as far as the Japanese audience goes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
And shit, that'd be an interesting little battle if we ever get a New Japan WWE thing going on. Anyways, um, oh, and by the way, the Ring of Honor, which is what he had on his hand, Chris, is something that he made where he basically changed the championship from Ring of Honor to an actual Ring of Honor and made people kiss it and shit. And he's still wearing it even though he lost the title to Dalton Castle. I just read okay, that. Okay, that makes more that happy. makes more sense. I think the um, I watched the JR English announcing on Saturday for that match, and they didn't do a good job of explaining what the ring was. Just that if he was so worried about it, they kind of made a joke that he should have just took it off backstage. Um, and I just assumed that it was a tie-in to, you, you know, Dusty Rhodes' Hall of Fame ring or something. Um, but that makes more sense with his character. But like like I said, I on that one I I haven't watched. I've watched a lot of his matches from Ring of Honor, but I haven't consistently kept up with everything that's going on in the storyline um, with his character. But that is kind of cool. I like I like that as far as a uh, kind of a gimmick. Yeah, very 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 different. I, I watch Ring of Honor every once in a while. I just actually researched it. I'll be honest with you guys out there. He mentioned it. I wanted to find out. I kind of fact-checked, and then I found out the information myself. I didn't actually watch it, so I apologize, Gertie Rhodes, for missing your glorious ring veil on Ring of Honor. Well, but I did, I did recently watch that uh, – was it the six-man match for the title? Um, I watched that where Dalton Castle ended up getting the belt, I believe. So I ended up – I watched that match. But um, outside of that, recently, probably the past month or so, I, I haven't had Christmas a lot of. Show. Yeah, I haven't had a lot of Ring of Honor going on in my life, just simply because of uh, the holidays and uh, WWE for this show, as well as you know New Japan going into Wrestle Kingdom. So Ring of Honor, unfortunately, got tossed a little bit by the wayside. So. Hey, it's gonna happen, you know. All right, so let's go to our next match. Another one that I think that you said that you were higher on. I just. Maybe it's because they had two matches in a row with the same type of concept. Uh, and what I mean by that is the heels are there. They beat the crap out of the baby face. Like, just no shine whatsoever. Like, uh, dusk, if you will. And at the end, all of a sudden, they come back and win real quick. And with this match, it kind of just took me out of it because I get, maybe, maybe it was the fact that Archer at the beginning of it was spitting water. And I just think it's disgusting. And he does it every freaking time all over everyone in the audience. Um but, yeah, it was just basically the two of them beating the crap out of them. And then, you know, um, Sonata pinned Smith with a moonsault to win the IWGP Tag Team Championship after, you know, kind of he, – yeah, he came back. And uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't consider it as memorable. But um, how did you feel about this? I thought it was a really fun match. And it was good to see Evil and Sonata get the uh, tag titles. Um, and I, I thought that the actual in-ring performance, the actual wrestling in the match was really good. The selling, um, the moves that they were able to pull off. I, I think that they were a little bit under a time constraint knowing how long the rest of the show was going to go. And that might have changed the dynamic of the match a little bit. It was still a pretty, it was a decently long match. but um, I, And also, I just fucking love Evil. Like, he's one of my favorites in New Japan. So that match is probably higher just because seeing, you know, Seeing them win was fun, especially at Wrestle Kingdom. And I think he's had one hell of a year, and I look forward to seeing what they're going to do with him going forward because I think he could be a big star for New Japan if they if they utilize him correctly. Evil, it's like Rhino and Undertaker had a baby. But, no, I do agree with you. Uh, there is 
a light side to this because I do like Evil and I like uh, Great Muta's protege, Sonata, uh, quite a bit. I'm a big fan of Los In... Oh, man. Los Incorbonables de Capone. Is that it? Yeah, I think I said that right for the first time ever, or at least close enough. Um, Nate, but, Nate uh, yeah, David Boy Smith Jr., God, that, he's like a giant version of his dad. It's so fucking weird. And Lance Archer, I already said, you know, the the problems I have personally with his spitting issue. It's like, hey, Triple H, I got this better. And then he's fucking just water everywhere. But, um... Anyways, let's keep on going. Um, we have the hair versus hair match for the Never Open Weight Championship, ne- 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 Never Overweight Championship. Um, Hiroki Goto defeated Minoru Suzuki. Goto took a severe beating during the match, but won with a GTR. After the match, Suzuki shaved his own head. Um, another match, it's like, I enjoyed it. I mean, but it was just basically, like I said, like Suzuki literally just beating the shit out of Goto until he came back for the win right at the end. But the one element I did really actually like is Suzuki as a character. Uh, he's very interesting to me um, just because he's never being so sadistic. And I mean, Christ, the guy beat Ken Shamrock twice in fucking, you know, MMA. I mean, he's actually legitimately a badass, but besides the whole entire concept. And I mean, he really was laying it in to Goto. Like that was definitely not like softies, you know, that was, that was that. That looked fucking painful. Uh, the, the little stiskies, you know. Um, but Goto did win, and like I said, uh, my favorite thing is that his goons were trying to get him out there. And even though he's kind of like somewhat of a mob boss, if you will, um, he's honorable. And he, when he realized and he came to the what happened, he went back there and he took his own chair from the audience, smacked the chair uh, out of the ring that Goto presented for him because he didn't need his chair, sat down, grabbed the clippers, and then started just doing his own hair, and just showed everyone that he shaved his head, threw it on the chair, and got the hell out of there. So now, Goto, who's interesting wrestler, uh, definitely not someone I've, I've zoned in on as much as some of the other guys in New Japan, but he is the never-open-weight champion. Uh, so, how'd you feel about that, Chris? I thought it was an okay match. This was not one of my favorites of the night. Um, I did like the ending. I, I, I really like what they're doing with Suzuki's character. Uh, and I think you pretty much nailed it on the head as far as how I felt for the match. Uh, exactly. Honestly. So I think we're right in line with uh, how we felt. There were some, definitely some stiff shots in this, <laughs> in this match from Suzuki. Um, I kind of felt Goto with those, with the, uh, the slaps to the face at the beginning, it kind of reminded me um, of what they did recently in that Ibushi, uh, was it Ibushi and Okada match or so ago? I so. Where, where they had that open slap fight. It kind of reminded me of that as far as how vicious it looked. And um, that was that was a cool spot uh, with the doctor try like teasing the stoppage when he went when when he had him in that like hangman's chokehold. And uh, I thought it was fun. The beginning of the match was fun. It got a little convoluted in the middle, and then uh, I, I think the you know the ending and the post match stuff was really really great, especially for. Uh, Suzuki's character and what they might they might be doing uh, with him going forward. So it's gonna be cool to see. I, I do like that he you know slapped the freaking chair out of the ring and got his own, which was kind of cool. And then shaved his own head. He didn't get held down in WWE fashion where they 
you know, hold the person down and like four people are shaving his head and it's ridiculous. I, I thought that was kind of cool and honorable um, and neat. And I like these matches okay as long as they don't happen super often. I mean, it's very much a uh, Lucha Libre and uh, like late 70s style match where the, the hair versus hair or the mask versus hair is usually um, in Lucha Libre is what you, what you end up having. So it's fun here and there. I just, I don't, you know, I'm not huge on the gimmick of the match in general, but I, I think in this and the way they presented it at the end, I think it, it kind of helps Suzuki's character a little bit, and uh, he's a fun wrestler to watch. And Goto is there, and he's also fun, but he's definitely not one of my favorite people on the roster, I would say. But Christopher, the last hair versus hair match was huge. Um... <laughs> Oh, yeah, terrible. guys, that actually happened to wrestling <laughs> not too long better. ago. But whatever, we're going to keep on going past that. But, yeah, I do I do agree with you. Um, there's something about Suzuki, though, that his biggest fall is that he always wants to do the gosh pile driver to, to end it, but he's so good at, like, submission. So I find that kind of – he just seems like he's an interesting character. You know, if they did the whole – and they're not going to, but I'm just saying another fantasy match between New Japan and USA – I would love to see a match with him and Brock Lesnar. I know that Brock's going to win the match, but I think that they could present a good performance, use a hell of a lot of MMA, and uh, it would be a lot of fun. They're both uh, extremely intimidating. But anyways, let's keep on going to the next match. You know, Chris, this might be my second favorite match of the night. I really don't know, but I really enjoyed the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Uh, Will Ospreay defeated Marty Skrull, Kashida and Hiromu Takahashi, Osprey pin Skrull with an Oz cutter to win the championship. So uh, some of my favorite spots, obviously, when they're outside, just beating the crap out of each other, and Will Osprey climbs the damn thing all the way to the top, does a flip off of it. It, it seemed like in the match that the, that the pace that they were going and the fact that they kept on pairing these two groups of people that hate each other. You know, you have Marty, you have Will. Every time they go against each other, Marty beats them. He just took the title away from him. And you have Kushida and Takahashi, who have had all these matches building up to this. So they kind of kept on going back on that. And, yeah, it was pretty much a spot fest. It was a lot of fun. It, was, it, it had about as much um, psychology, honestly, as like a, uh, you know, one of the, the TLC matches back in the day, where it does have some, but there's a lot of, you know, shiny lights and shit. Um, in between, but I had a lot of fucking fun watching this. Takahashi, holy shit. Uh, those two um, sunset flip uh, power bombs to the outside that he did back-to-back to Osprey and Skrull, that was pretty damn cool. Uh, the breaking fingers part, the fact that Skrull knew that now that he got his fingers messed up, um, that he needed to go outside back to the med kit and, like, you know, stuff like that, you know, it, him him taping up Hiromu outside, like, they, this was a lot of fun for me to watch. I really like all these guys. I love Will Ospreay. He's, Don Callis was right. If there's a guy that you're going to start a wrestling organization that's not Omega or Okada, I would pick Ospreay. Uh, he is just ridiculous. Sometimes over the top a little bit, but to be 6'1 and be one of the most agile professional wrestlers is ridiculous. Like he, He's not a small dude. He's a pretty tall guy. And then I love Marty. I love the villain. I love the wings at the beginning. That was just awesome. I think Kushida, he's like someone – I would love to see if he's gone against Ray, dude. Th- those two would have a great match. And Takahashi is another one. 
phenomenal wrestler, a lot of fun to watch. So I, if you can't tell, Chris, had a lot of fun with this match. How'd you feel about it? I, I mean, I loved this match. I thought it was great. I enjoyed um, almost all of the spots, uh, especially like the finger breaks with the double finger break tease that Scroll had where he, he Kushida basically broke his finger, which was a lot of fun. And I, I think they did a really good job building up uh, Marty Scroll versus Will Ospreay in general for the future because leading into this match, he won the title from Will Ospreay. Um, you know, and Kushida and Takahashi came down, and he basically said, I'll take on all of you guys. So I, I feel like he'd be the next in line for a rematch. Um, and overall, I, I think he was kind of the star of the match because he's not really – he's not as much of a spot guy as some of the other people that are in this match. Um, he, I mean, in some sense he is, but uh, the things that he was able to do kind of with the finger break spots, the like the med kit – kind of helped uh, pace that match a little differently, and I, I think it helped all these guys out. I absolutely love Kushida. Um, it was awesome seeing him, seeing him uh, attempt and then hit you know, Back to the Future. That was cool. It, it was a really, really fun match overall. There's so many spots in this match that I can't put them all in my head without watching it again. This is probably one that I will definitely go back and watch and definitely one that I recommend other people to go watch. Um, but yeah, Will Ospreay is an absolute monster and uh, a great performer, and I'm excited to see where they go with it from here, but I'm assuming that you're going to get Marty Skrull versus uh, Will Ospreay again for this title. Um, I was surprised that they switched it back uh, so quickly. That's not really a uh, thing that New Japan does that often, so I'm assuming that the coming out of this, they want want to continue that storyline. Absolutely. Um, the crazy thing, and I, and I was trying to look this up, um, I'm almost positive that he's having a match with Pete Dunne soon. So we'll actually have the Pete, the, the WWE UK cha- uh, champion versus the IWGP junior heavyweight champion uh, in a match, which is ridiculous. But I'm a huge Will Ospreay, Mark. Um, did you know, though, uh, I only know this because um, I listened to Omega and, and Chris Jericho. Uh, they had a podcast. Yeah, they broke kayfabe. <laughs> um, the night after their huge match that we're going to be talking about soon. But during the match, there's a spot where <clears throat> Teddy goes to grab the hairspray that he tucked underneath to spray in Chris Jericho's face uh, that he used to do like a couple years back. But he tucked it underneath and taped it on the bottom of the ring. And apparently when Marty was going to get the med kit, basically. He didn't know that, and he couldn't find the med kit at first and tore off the thing and, like, dropped it underneath the ring. So Kenny had to, like, awkwardly, like, apparently, like, go and grab it. And he was like, God damn it, Marty. But, like, yeah, that definitely happened. Uh, Pete Dunn versus announced for – I think it is happening. Holy shit. Set to have a big match with Pete Dunn. That is crazy. So uh, out of both of those things, uh, more, more so about Will Ospreay and Pete Dunn, uh, having a match on the 17th of this month, actually. Huh. IWGP. Or IPW, I mean. How do you feel about that, Chris? Is that weird? Uh, It's kind of weird. I'm assuming it's going to be... It's going to be in England, right? Probably, yeah. I, I'm assuming they'll probably do a double count-out or a time limit draw. They'll go Broadway or something. Uh, I doubt... I mean, if anyone's going to go over in that match, it'll probably be Pete Dunne. Um, 
but it'll be a fun match. I mean, those two guys will be interesting to watch in the ring. It's going to be kind of, it'll be, I don't know if it's going to be as good as the match we were just talking about, but I think it'll be a fun match and hopefully they'll post it up so that we can see it on YouTube after the fact. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love Pete Dunn. Um, I like Marty Skrull. I don't know that he's necessarily quite there yet for me. Oh, no, it's Will Ospreay. Oh, it's Will Ospreay. Okay, I thought you meant Marty Skrull. Um, Yeah, okay, well, then definitely I assume that there'll be a a double count out, and they'll probably work a very similar match to Will Ospreay versus uh, Marty Skrull. That's why I was kind of dialing it back on how good that match was going to be, just because they work very similar styles, Marty and uh, Pete Dunne. Uh, well, they even a, have a lot of the they're, they're the champions break. and the opposites of company. Yeah, that, that is true. Marty and people do that. But like the fact that one's the IWGP junior heavyweight and the other one's the UK heavyweight for WWE, it's, it's strange, strange concept. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess let's that, keep that'll on That'll probably going. be a really good yeah. match. That'll be a really good match. I just misunderstood what you were saying, but yeah, if it's Will Ospreay versus Pete Dunne, that'll be probably one hell of, hell of a fucking match. I think that they've had a match before. Um, it was really good, if, I, if I'm recalling correctly. But, uh, yeah, it, seeing Will Ospreay out there with the title, I'm assuming that it's either going to be, like I said, a draw, or you're going to have some kind of interference spot. It'd be interesting to see who else is on the card. Um, this could be something where Marty Skrull's also on the card, and you get an interference spot or something weird like that uh, towards the end of the match. But it should be fun. Totally. I'm I'm uh, gonna enjoy it regardless, but I just thought the concept was, was as weird as say an ECW wrestler, say Taz, uh, representing the WWF to get back a title from a WCW wrestler, say Mike Awesome, um, which actually happened at one point. <laughs> you guys can look that up. Uh, all right, let's go to our third to last match, the Intercontinental uh, Championship match. You know, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Switchblade Jay White. Tanahashi hit the high fly flow to White's back, then hit a second one to win the match. Um, this is not one of my – I understand that he's with one of the newer guys. He's really hurt. This has not been one of my favorite uh, Tanahashi performances uh, based on some of the ones I've seen him do this year. And I have to admit that I thought he was going to drop the title just because I think that he needs a break to let his uh, bicep muscle and several other things on his body, re- you know, uh, self-repair, but he knows his body, I guess, better than anyone, and all I have to say is if he's going to be staying a while, um, and if Jericho's going to be staying a while, I definitely want to see Tanahashi and Jericho in some way after Jericho's done with NATO, and whatever Tanahashi's going to be doing going forward, but I like Jay White. Um, I didn't see him beforehand. Kind of looks like Kylo Ren, uh, but that's okay. Uh, you know, Kylo Ren's not that bad. Um, and uh, Tanahashi, man, doing those high pipe flows at the outside, like, dude's crazy. Um, he really is their uh, their, their John Cena, um, but you know he's a badass. And uh, how, how did you feel about the IWGP Intercontinental Championship match, Chris? I thought Tanahashi's hair looked fantastic, first and foremost. <laughs> outside of that. Uh, I don't. I, I haven't seen much of uh, Switchblade Jay White, and I, I Tanahashi carried the match to the to the best of his ability, um, especially being hurt. 
but this definitely wasn't one of Tanahashi's best matches. It was entertaining. It was fun. I think Tanahashi was trying to keep the crowd into it as hard as he could. Um, I really did like the end when he got the mic and kind of did, you know, some air guitar and, and, and typical Tanahashi stuff. But uh, overall, this is, you know, if I had to say go watch a Tanahashi match, this wouldn't be one that I would put up there uh, as a must watch or if you're watching this after the fact. Yeah, I, I do I, agree. Um, what were you going to say? I was going to say um, there was a really, really cool spot where uh, White hit like a dragon suplex and Tanahashi sold the fuck out of it. And and uh, then later on in the match, he tried to hit a dragon suplex and the Tanahashi countered it and did like one or two sling blades um, and then hit and then hit a high five low. Um Yep. And then went up top and missed the second one. I thought that was a really cool sequence of moves. Um, he did tease that finisher a lot in this match because I, I think that I, – I don't know that Jay White's on the same level as like a NATO or an Omega or Okada in the ring yet. I think he can get there. I think he, he looks good in the match overall. But um, the, the weird thing is like the middle of this match got really, really uh, slow, and then they had some miscommunication, and I think that kind of took away – um, for the match itself. I can agree with that. Um, I think there's definitely potential for Kylo Ren. I mean, Jay White, whatever the hell his name is. Um, we'll talk actually about a little bit right after we're done with this. Uh, we got two more matches. Uh, the next match being probably my favorite match of the night. Um, what can I say, man? Uh, this this is a lot of, like, like I said with that last one, it was a lot of fun, but in a different way. And almost like a, a cla- classic wrestler brawl sort of way, like, no DQ match for the IWGP United States champion, Kenny Omega defeated, the Omega defeated the Alpha, Chris Jericho. Uh, Omega was able to put Jericho away with a one-winged angel onto a chair. Uh, Dude, so many good parts of this match. Uh, God. The part where they dived outside, um, Kenny going into Chris Jericho and knocked over the table, smacking into Don Callis, taking him out. Uh, and then just Chris Jericho, man, just being so just just malicious and, and ruthless to people, taking red shoes and just knocking the crap out of him and seeing his son, who's a young boy, checking him out and then putting him in the walls of Jericho and just just so maniacal and just evil throughout the whole entire match. And uh, my, one of my favorite parts is, uh, this is going to be ridiculous, but he has the chairs uh, in each corner, um, and uh, he's taking Kenny and just he's already smashed his face in. Kenny's bleeding all over the place, and he's he's mocking the audience and going Kenny, Kenny, and smacked right into a chair like just the just the stuff that Jericho knows how to do that no one else can do. Just making it so theatrical, but just so much fun at the same time. And Kenny Omega, man, he's incredible. Uh, those guys put on a great match. I kind of want another match between the two of them before Jericho leaves if he stays for a little while. I'm really looking forward to him and NATO. I'm just wondering what they're going to be doing with Kenny going forward since he just signed for another year. Um, you know, I know he's a U.S. champion, but was that just like a belt to, like, make him happy? And now NATO's going to take his place, eventually gain the IWGP uh, heavyweight championship? Or because of the results of the match that we're going to talk about next, does that mean maybe they're going to do a title for title and Kenny's going to finally beat Okada? Like, we don't know. I mean, think about it. Yes, they had three matches, but each one had a win, and the other one went to a draw. So there's been no winner between the two of them. 
I want to see Kenny get the damn belt before, you know, I don't think he's going to be leaving, and I honestly don't want him to leave anymore. Um, I'm over that concept. I think that there could be some, you know, uh, back and forth between, potentially between New Japan and WWE, just based on stuff I've heard from lots of different people, um, uh, more so than me wanting Kenny to fucking leave New Japan. I think he's just incredible there. So, yeah, I, I, I'm talking too much. There's lots of passion present for this match. It was a lot of fun, and one of, one of Chris Jericho's, Best matches and probably one of Kenny Omega's best matches, I think. Uh, Chris, how did you feel? I, I thought I it was really times, great. And uh, the American announcing on it with JR, uh, they did a good job towards the end of the match selling the fact that Chris Jericho wanted to beat Omega. He wanted to make him tap. He didn't just want to beat him. He wanted to make him tap. So from that, I don't know if they did that with the Japanese announcing or what, but it really, I think even though Jericho ended up losing the match, it really built on his character as being like, yeah, he lost the match, but like he could have won it several times. He just wanted to make Omega tap. Um, so I think there's a lot of that that can be put in the storyline. I really love the uh, the fact Jericho, he's one of the very few wrestlers. I think, I think uh, Triple H, when he wrestles, does this as well as Kevin Owens who has this innate ability to continue to be a heel no matter what in the match, even if he's thinking about a spot or what he's going to do. So like what you're saying with the chair shots and him uh, taunting the crowd and doing the Kenny, um, oh, helped Kenny and like, you know, really shit talking the crowd. The only other person that's currently doing that on a a consistent basis is, uh, you know, like Kevin Owens does that a lot. And, um, which I'm sure he learned a lot of that from Jericho when they were working together, even though, you know, Kevin Owens has always kind of done a little bit of that, even going back to Ring of Honor. And Triple H has, has kind of have, has done that throughout his career, but they're the only three that it comes to mind that I can think of that just consistently can stay heel. And if they feel like they're starting to get cheered or the match is starting to fizzle, they'll, they'll throw those little things in that just further their character. And it's, it's what's made Jericho so fucking great for so long. Um, Jericho hitting a spinning back elbow was pretty fucking great. Uh, that whole spot on the outside of the ring at the beginning where Jericho is beating up young boys and putting him, putting red shoes, as son in the walls of Jericho. Um, it was, it was just so great. The, uh, the spot where Omega hit three dragon suplexes in a row and then Jericho hit him with a chair and then just continued to beat the shit out of him with a chair. Like, uh, leading up to those B triggers and then going for the one wing wing angel. And then Jericho, you know, countered it and put him in the walls of Jericho. Like there were so many good spots in the match. And honestly, I think this will probably be the best Jericho match you will see um, for the rest of his career. I just don't know that he has that much left uh, in the tank. And a lot of people have said that about Jericho for a long time, but this is a very, very fucking high level to me, what I would consider a five-star match. I don't know what Meltzer uh, ranked it at. I haven't went and looked at all that, but I, I think that this was one of Chris Jericho's best performances. I love what they're doing with his character. Um, I love the stuff that they've done after this with him and NATO. I'm looking forward to that match. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that NATO match will be even better, which is very possible because NATO is a fucking monster as well. Uh, but I think this is the perfect place for Jericho and I love seeing him work with these guys. And it's so great that Chris Jericho is at the point in his career that he, you know, even if he's going to have a small run in Japan, he's not afraid to put these guys over um, as well as just continue to develop and evolve. And, and he consistently rises on my list of greatest wrestlers of all time. 
because when you go back and you look at Chris Jericho's career as a whole and how he was able to change and how much he's done and how long he's been around and the quality of matches that he's had going, even going back to like ECW with uh, like him and Dean Malenko and uh, him and Eddie Guerrero and even those early matches and that stuff in WCW that he did, it's just fucking incredible that this guy is still around and still able to work at such a high level and create and be so creative with his character um, you know, the, the the festival of friendship and all of the stuff that he did with Kevin Owens and then leading up into this more heelish, uh, almost kind of a Roddy Piper style character, um, which he has done before, but it's, it's just fucking incredible. Like he continues to amaze me. I do think this will be one of his best matches, uh, as far as his later career goes, I don't know that there'll be much that will top this. We'll see what him and NATO are able to pull out, but this this was a great match. It's one that I recommend watching, even if you're not a New Japan fan. If you're a Jericho fan, definitely check this one out because it, it was fucking incredible, and, and uh, him and Kenny Omega did one hell of a job. Uh, the only thing I had about this was Kenny Omega dressed like a Destiny character at the beginning because that's kind of what it looks like. It looked like he had like Trials of Osiris gear on or some shit when he came out to the ring. Um, he's the only one that did like kind of the big Wrestle Kingdom intro this year, so it was a little it was uh, surprising. But I was like trying to figure out what the hell was with the paper mache gun and what character he was, and uh, of course the Jr. Was sold the fuck out gun. of that. <laughs> JR no sold the shit out of that. He, he didn't even mention it. He was like, here comes Kenny Omega. <laughs> that was kind of the, <laughs> that was, that was kind of the end like, of it. JR, are you going to comment on his attire? No, Josh, I was actually not going to, but uh, we're just going to keep on going. Uh, apparently, he was on Chris Jericho. Kenny, I, I feel like, is a lot like Triple H. Like, Triple H, you know, we've made jokes like, WrestleMania, I want to look like a Viking, and there'd be volcanoes, that, a real volcano, actually. You know, and Kenny's not any, and you know, apparently, and they even they even admitted this, like something compared to New Japan to WWE, something got screwed up in the production, and half the video montage building up was something got fucked up. I don't I don't remember if you guys want to listen to podcasts. Kenny explains that, that he was trying to represent that he is a wrestling god because he's gone by that a bunch. And he picked Anubis because he's a big Stargate fan. He loves Destiny. He's a big gamer. Um, so that's what he says he was going for. I don't know. But uh, apparently, yeah, I mean, Chris. The, the, the gun itself was definitely from Destiny. Horrible. Like it was. It was a pulse rifle from Destiny, but it was like paper macheed together and like fucking terrible. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. No, I was gonna say uh, apparently, um, and and going back to what you're saying about the vil- the villains and the heels doing that, I definitely want to throw in. I think that maybe they're different from what you're going for, but like Flair and Piper both did that too. Uh, but I definitely agree with Triple H. Uh, Chris Jericho and I forgot the other person that you said. Um, I, I was just I was talking modern, so the the three okay, that come to mind I, that are still wrestling would be you know like uh, Kevin Owens specifically Jericho and uh, and Triple H when Triple H specifically that last uh, was the Survivor Series Triple H did a lot of shit talking in that match, um, and he's always kind of done that throughout his career being the cerebral assassin. 
but like right off the bat, like Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens are the two best in the business at that right now. Uh, unless someone can show me video footage otherwise, I, I think they're the best at getting across the fact that they're heels, specifically when the crowd is even trying to get behind them a little bit. They try to turn that shit back around as fast as possible. And that's very old school, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the two other spots I wanted to mention that I remember that I really enjoyed uh, when Chris Jericho grabbed the dude's camera and proceeded to take a bunch of pictures of Kenny and then him flicking off the crowd. Great stuff on the spot. You know that kid was like, oh, no, that's my camera. And he's like, holy shit, I'm going to get so much money back for this crap, even though the pictures are probably horrible, you know. Just cool in concept. And I love the one-wing angel that Kenny initially did when he got it the first time, but it was too close, and Chris was able to grab the ropes right at the last second. This is a great match. Uh, there is a rumor that Okada and Jericho are set to cross paths in New Japan. And uh, when this was put up on Geek Vibes, I said I would prefer him against Tanahashi after Naito, but, or back with Omega, but, I mean, I'm not going to complain if we get Jericho and Okada. Um, before we go on to the last match, how do you feel about that concept? And will it be for the title? I, mean, I, I, think, it, I think it's incredible, and if you're going to do it, he needs to beat NATO because he just lost to Omega. Um, and that sucks for NATO, but NATO is so over right now that I don't think it's really going to matter all that much. I think there's ways that you can do it. Um, I think it either needs to be a time limit draw turned into a three-way match between Jericho, NATO, or a four-way match or, or something. Um, and, and that's probably the oh, that American match. wrestling Holy fan. Shit. That's probably a little bit of the American wrestling fan in me, but the way I would book it is you do a time limit draw because of New Japan rules. Make it a 30-minute match, not a 60-minute match. Do a time limit draw or just have Jericho straight win out the match by some kind of cheating, like some, you know, him being straight heel of some sort and, and beating uh, NATO in an unfair manner, Set, either setting up a three-way match or a rematch between him and NATO. Um, but if he's going against Okada, he's got to get some wins, and he's got to get some wins over some meaning. Okada has been the top dog for coming close to 400 days he's been champion. So if you're going to make him a legitimate contender, you need to at least have him beat someone like Evil or uh, NATO or even win a rematch against uh, Omega, maybe a non-title match. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they build to that. But I'm totally down um, for Okada versus Jericho because I feel like as much as I like Kenny Omega, I think Okada can have a fucking good match with anything, kind of similar to Shawn Michaels and AJ Styles. And I think that he would probably, out of NATO, Omega, and Okada, Okada is probably going to get the best pure wrestling match out of Jericho. Uh just because of his ability to sell and the way that he can kind of work with anyone. I think the way they did it with Omega made perfect sense with it being no DQ. Um, but Okada can work an old school style with Jericho, like pretty much like no one else. Uh, Okada is the best wrestler in the business right now. And then AJ Styles is like a very, very close second. Uh, but yeah, yep. it'll be a fucking incredible match. And I look forward to it if it does happen. And I hope it does. I really do. But I, what Man. I would want to see from a booking standpoint is you got to get Jericho some meaningful wins going into it. Um, because a Japanese audience takes wins and losses way more seriously. Um, which is why the G1 is so important and Dominion is so important um, leading up to this. It, you know, it's not like 
you know, Finn Balor loses like six matches and then he gets a title shot or something. They don't do that shit in Japan. So strong, that's yeah. The, that's the only thing I would say about that. But yeah, I would totally fucking love to see Okada versus Jericho. It'd be awesome. I think you're absolutely right about the top two, like you just said as well. Who do you put at three? Do you put Ricochet or do you put Kenny Omega or do you put someone else? I think I have to put Omega just on principle that he's had so many good fucking matches this year, either him or NATO. Yeah. They're very close. And then probably Will Ospreay as, as five. And then somewhere those in between there, there, I would say Mundo and Ricochet. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Impact I mean, and, and Ricochet. Uh, and then you get your, then you get into your, uh, you get into your Pete Dunn's and your, uh, you know, some of the other guys that I think have been working at a really fucking high level lately. Just have been absolute incredible. Like Tyler Bate, Pete Dunn, I think have been really great this year and had some phenomenal fucking matches. And then from the, the rest of the list down, it's you know you you get your Kevin Owens, you start getting you know a little. Not that and all of those guys are fucking great in the ring. I mean, it's all nitpicking shit. But like Okada has shown that he has consistently been great in the ring <laughs> for a long, long period of time. Same thing with AJ Styles and Kenny Omega. So, and, and NATO to some extent. Absolutely. Yep. And guess what, people that hate John Cena? John Cena's up there, too. He's definitely not in the top five, but he's a damn good interim worker, and if you don't like him, you can kiss my ass. Anyways, I had to bring well, that have, in there. You also have to, I mean, the other thing to remember about John Cena is he didn't really work a full year last year. Some of the matches that you could have gotten um, out of John Cena, they didn't really take advantage of. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. John Cena is a great wrestler. He would definitely be in the top 10, top 15 for me. Uh, it, simply, if you just look at the matches that he's been able to have, you know, specifically the stuff he did with AJ Styles, and you could say, well, AJ Styles carried it, but I, I don't, honestly, I don't think that's true, and you can even go back that's to... That's not Kevin what AJ Owens. says. You can go back to, you know, Kevin Owens and John Cena when Kevin Owens first came in and the incredible fucking match they had that a lot of people uh, sleep well, on. You know, Chris, but, I mean, that goes back to the marks, man, uh, because... Uh, they would probably say that Kevin Owens and AJ are just lying, but both of them have said, you know, Cena's a beast. Like, I really want to work with them. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, hey, what are you going to do? It doesn't matter. Last match of the night, IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. Uh, Kuchko Okada defeated Tetsuya Naito. Did not see that coming at all. I thought this was Naito's. Uh, Naito connected with a Destino late in the match, but went for the hold again following Okada to counter into a tombstone pile driver. Then Okada would hit the Rainmaker end match and retain his championship. This is honestly, and this is nothing against this match. It's probably my third favorite of the night. First being uh, Jericho and Omega. Second one being the four way for the junior uh, IWGP championship. But this is a damn good match. Um, I love that, that ending, how, Friggin' Nato keep on trying to hit the damn Destino over and over again, but it would not take out Okada. So finally at the end, he's like, screw it, I'll do two. And that ends up inevitably screwing him over. And that spinning friggin' tombstone that Okada does. Dude, his intensity, and I want to give it up uh, to Thomas Barrington, good friend of the show, badass professional wrestler. Um, he said something about, like, is it just near? Does Okada have, like, a swag, a swag to him? On his way to the ring, and some some of like the 
I don't know, just the way he was acting, very, very The Rock uh, to me. He's always giving me that. I know that we can't hear or can't understand him on mic per se, but he's always kind of had that. Um, and I, I, I think that he's incredible, man. He's got the swag of Nick Bockwinkle and the streak of Ric Flair for having incredible matches. He is probably the greatest professional wrestler on the planet right now. Um, I mean, arguably. So I, this was a fun match. I love Naito. I love how he's so – he's such a dick, uh, you know, this, the stuff that he was doing. He's kind of heelish, like going to the outside, coming in to like break the count, going back to the outside. Uh, just awesome wrestler. Just a fun wrestling match. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about the, 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 the finale, if you will? This was my match of the night, um, and followed by the Jericho um, Jericho Omega match. But I, I, I loved everything about this match. Uh, my friend Adam was over, and he's not a big wrestling fan, and we watched those two matches back-to-back. And afterwards, he's like, man, I really need to watch New Japan. Like, he's like, I'm really into this. Um, it was great. Uh, and like you said, Okada came out. He worked in Bell Bottoms, which isn't like him normally. Uh, like everything about him from the second he stepped in the ring, he seemed like a huge fucking star. The crowd was into this match, like right off the bat. Um, the Destinos, the, the attempts for the, uh, the Rainmaker, of course, at the end, it was just crazy. The, 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 the sequences they're able to do with Okada because of how, sim- I, I don't want to say simplistic, but how, great of a finisher and how well they built up the Rainmaker and how important they've made that to his character prove that you don't have to have an amazing looking finisher move, even though like it, it does look damn good when Okada does it to get a move over. Um, and it, it's just incredible what he's able to do that spinning tombstone. Every time he does it is it's just, it just looks so brutal and devastating and uh, watching it with the American commentating with uh, JR uh, directing the importance of the wrist lock when they're both in the center of the ring and Okada won't let go of his wrist was really, really great. Uh, I think that was his best work of the night as far as JR and commentary goes. If you watch the uh, JR commentated version, um, but overall, man, the match was, was amazing. Uh, watching Okada be like watching NATO be such a dick. Uh, sitting next to a guy who's never watched, you know, New Japan before, or never knew anything about NATO, and watching like NATO roll up, you know, roll roll on his side and, and hit kind of the the Burt Reynolds Playboy pose and open hand slap uh, Okada and spit in his face, and he's like, "This guy's a real asshole," and I'm like, "That's what he's going for," you know, like it's it's kind of great. Yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of great seeing that reaction, and I think. You no, know, overall, this was a fucking amazing match. Everything about it from top to bottom. I actually thought that this was going to time limit draw because on the American version of this, this started with an hour and 15 minutes left. So just the running time alone, I was like, oh, are they going to go time limit draw? Are they going to have NATO win? Um, I think it's smart to keep the belt on Okada because if anyone deserves to have the belt drop to him, it's probably Omega at this point. But NATO right now is the biggest star in New Japan. Uh, not necessarily the best wrestler, but as far as the like merch and crowd reaction and and uh, what he's currently doing, everyone is like fully behind NATO. They really love NATO, so uh, he he's gonna get his time. I, I felt like him winning the belt here would have been good because you could have had uh, my original prediction was he was gonna win the belt. We go back to uh, G1, 
I predicted that he was going to win the belt, and then you were going to have Kenny beat NATO for the belt as opposed to beating Nakata to set up a rematch. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be really great to see what they do with these guys. I, they're everyone at the top of the New Japan roster is just so fucking good in the way they book them and the way Gato, um, you know, books shows and is and consistently able to get this type of performance out of his athletes is. is is incredible, man. Uh, overall, I absolutely love the show. I cannot say enough good things about this match. It was it was fucking incredible. Uh, I would say if you don't watch the entire thing, definitely watch Okada versus NATO and um, Omega versus Jericho, as well as the uh, the junior heavyweight title match with Osprey Scroll and uh, Kushida and Takahashi. I, I I thought they were all fucking phenomenal. Some of the best wrestling I've seen since well since G1. But uh, yeah, no kidding. Great. And the fans were fucking crook the entire time. They were just so into it. Yeah, and, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna send it back to you before amazing. we go on. But um, for for American audiences uh, that are listening to us, or just any audiences in general that's more of a WWE person, maybe you don't even go to like Lucha Underground or you've never tried to Impact. You're just straight WWE person. This concept, uh, just how big these guys are both in their country, because like. We, we, Kenny's pretty popular, and he's probably one of the most over guys over there as well, but NATO and, it, and, and uh, Okada is kind of like The Rock and Stone Cold was in the 90s of how big they are and how popular they are. At the beginning of this match, you had people screaming for one guy or the other, and you could hear them both distinctly at a very loud level. Uh, the funny thing is, you know, Okada is more the Stone Cold concept for WrestleMania, where he has a belt. Um, the Rock coming against him as NATO was coming against Okada. The only difference is it's kind of like Okada's personality, like I said, reminds me more of the swagger of The Rock, while NATO is kind of your dirtbag, uh, like Steve Austin in a way. Definitely much more, I don't know, Shawn Michaels DX-ish as well, maybe X-Pac, like that type of, like, he spits in people's face. I don't think Steve ever did that, except for maybe the uh, Vince. Um, but, yeah, it, it's the way that they go at it, if you go into with that type of concept in your head of like a similarity of like to Japan, that's the level of how popular they are. Uh, it's, it's, it's similar to me at least. Um, did you have any other statements about this pay-per-view before we move on? I will say uh, there is one thing I missed when we were talking about Omega versus Jericho and it was just a really cool spot to look out for. Um, Omega went for a springboard and Jericho hit his corner drop kick and Omega took this fucking incredible bump <laughs> off of it. You know what I'm talking about, where Jericho yeah. jumps to the top turnbuckle and hits his drop kick, Didn't he hit but his he knee? hit it off. Uh, I don't, I don't know what he, what it's called. It's, I mean, it's basically, it's he, he just hits a top rope drop kick, but he's always done it, you know, with with the person standing on the apron. But this time, Omega was in a springboard position, and he took one hell of a bump, and I applaud that. I mean, it was. Now, this pay-per-view is fucking great, and if you don't watch the entire thing, definitely it's going to come back on Access again, and I would say definitely try to watch the uh, the JR commentary, at least of the last the, the three matches that we just talked about, because it was, it was pretty fucking phenomenal. Um, and Okada just continues to amaze me. Like, I... I, I really want AJ Styles versus Okada. I know I've seen it several times, but it's so hard to look at where they're at right now and the level they're performing at and be like, just 
one Moss more <laughs> AJ style. Yeah. In Okada. To to quote, you know, uh he's bounded down, one Moss more. One Moss more for Favor. Uh yeah. Definitely agree with you guys. Uh check that pay per view out. Uh like we said, as long as you get those those three matches in particular and if you want, check out a great tag team match. I thought that first one was probably my fourth favorite. Um, just check out some New Japan, man. Expand your horizon. Things are changing. You know, other phrases people say. I will also say that I have watched uh, both the Japanese commentary, um, which is great. It's, it's very classic. You can't understand what the hell they're saying, but they get so damn into it. Um, and I've also seen the commentary with uh, Kevin Kelly and Don Callis which was the English commentary actually live there. JR and Josh Barnett recorded afterwards. They didn't know the results, but they recorded it afterwards. Either way, I'm just saying that I want to now check out the matches, just those three in particular, with JR's commentary. But Don Callis, if you get a version with Don Callis and Kevin Kelly, they do a great job as well. So I don't want to deter anyone from uh, watching one of the English versions. Um, I'm sure JR, JR could call someone grocery shopping and make it the most epic fucking grocery shopping of all time. I mean, the man has now called called Omega and Okada's matches, got all the way back and also called Stone Cold and the Rock's matches, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, going all the way back to Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rick Flair. He's he's incredible. But let's move to the Mixed Max Challenge. Um, Talk about that real quick. And then... With, with the commentary Chris. thing, I will say the the uh, the Kevin Kelly Don Callis commentary is better in some spots because they were actually there, so you get more of a raw emotion. The JR commentary and Josh Barnett commentary, you get kind of uh, like SmackDown used to be, where you can definitely tell that it's a little more produced and you're not getting as much like raw emotion from the live show. So there's both there's positives and negatives to both. One, you get to hear JR say weird JR shit and the other is you get to hear like a live actual reaction to the match so they're like you said they're both worth checking out if you get one or the other I don't think you're going to be messing out because I, I feel like Don Callis and, and Kevin Kelly have done a great job on commentary um, especially Don Callis recently. man him and, yeah. him and Corey Graves I think are my, my two favorites um, especially heel commentators they're, they're, they're great um, and Don Callis, if you guys see the one where it's Omega Nokata, he actually channels his inner JR, I think, throughout the performance. He was incredible. But either way, stop talking about commentary. <laughs> Let's go to Mixed Match Challenge. Um, this is something that WWE are doing. Uh, I think it's going to be yearly. Or maybe they're testing it out, and maybe they'll try it next year. Premieres on Facebook. Uh, watch at 10 p.m. Eastern Time next Tuesday. It will be a 12-week series with 20-minute episodes. It will feature a single elimination Mixed Tag Team Tournament. Here are the finalized lists of teams. Uh, for Raw, we have Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss, uh, Finn Balor and Sasha Banks, Apollo Crews and Nia Jax, The Miz and Asuka, uh, Goldust and Alicia Fox, and Elias and Bailey. And for SmackDown, we have Bobby Roode and Charlotte Flair, Rusev and Lana, Jimmy Uso and Naomi, Shinsuke Nakamura and Natalia, Sami Zayn and Becky Lynch, and of course Big E and Carmella. Now I will say that I love the concept that they're going for. I think this is very cool. Um, besides having the, the on both sides a husband and wife team, 
I believe it's on both sides. Maybe there's two on one. I know Jimmy Uso and Naomi. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. SmackDown's got two of them. But still, all the other pairings, for the most part, are very random, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, kind of weird because you get some baby faces with heels. But I think they got something cool going, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm not quite sure if there's going to be like a Raw versus Raw or if all these matches are going to be Raw versus SmackDown or if it's going to be two different brackets and then the best of each will go against. Um, maybe Chris knows that type of information. Um, I definitely want to say before I pass it to Chris that the two teams, and Chris also answers obviously uh, when you get around to it, two teams on Raw and two teams on SmackDown I think have the best chance uh, going the, the, the longest is Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss for obvious reasons, and The Miz and Asuka, for obvious reasons. Now, they could throw us off, but those two seem like they're, they're very likely. Uh, for SmackDown, I'm going to say Bobby Roode and Charlotte Flair, and actually Rusev and Lana, uh, because of heel tactics. I think that Lana's not a good in-ring wrestler. She's trying, and she's trying to get better, but she's not a good wrestler inside the ring, but... She's very conniving and very, very devious and working with her husband, who's awesome. I can see it happening. Shinsuke and, and Natalia are definitely a team to look for. Shit, Sami Zayn and Becky Lynch. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about the concept of this? Um, how do you like the pairings? And who are you looking to being the leading people in your head that are going to win this challenge? Well, on SmackDown, I have Sami Zayn and Becky Lynch winning um, for the SmackDown side, if they're doing it side by side, I, I don't know if they're going to cross it over or what they're doing. I haven't, like I, I just got the lineup today, so not 100% sure. And then I have uh, Braun and Alexa winning the Raw uh, thing, but I right there next to them probably Miz and Asuka. And if Miz, I, like, I don't know if you count this as a loss for Asuka. If they're going to count that as part of a record, it'll probably be Miz and Asuka winning. Um, which I'm fine with. I think they're doing a good job building Miz back up. Uh, he, I, I liked his stuff on Raw. I don't know if we're going to talk about it too much, but uh, I, I think you know Miz and Asuka is kind of a cool pairing. I think fans will get behind that, and I think it does a lot for Miz. Uh, the one thing I like about this, with I, I, a lot of people have been kind of poo-pooing the heel uh, with baby faces and, and vice versa. I think you have a good opportunity to turn someone like Becky Lynch, whose character is kind of stale, heel. Um, this The same with uh, some of the other pair-ups. Like, there's things that you can do out of this storyline-wise that I think is kind of cool and neat, and it's a good way to turn someone heel that no one's kind of ever thought of, like the influence of wrestlers on wrestlers. Uh, one thing I wish they would do is treat this more like a video game tournament where you have a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket, so it's like a double elimination, uh, so that you'll get to see these guys work more than once as a team. Uh, It's interesting. The one thing that's weird about WWE is their mixed tag rules, where if a female tags in, you have to immediately tag in the other female. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how they work these matches. The, 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 The gender matches they've had previously in WWE for the past, like, five, ten years have not been great. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do a whole live event around it. Uh, it coming through Facebook as well. Uh, I hope they nail it, and I hope we get some, like, kind of cool teams and, and maybe even some uh, some turns out of it. That would be really cool to see. Uh, the reason I say Sami Zayn and uh, Becky Lynch is because they don't really have a lot for Becky to do, and they haven't for a while. So turning her heel 
with the influence of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and maybe throwing her into the mix with those guys, with Kevin Owens helping them win and stuff, I think would be very interesting, at least for her character. All right, and let, let me ask you this before I move on. Pick a male and female team uh, using anyone that wasn't used from Ross Matdown or even NXT. So they get pulled up just for this bullshit next year. Um, I'm going to go first. Uh, I want to see Samoa Joe and Shayna Baszler on a team together and just call them choke out or some bullshit where they always end up choking out the fucking people at the end of it. Who would you like to see, Chris? Uh, Finn Balor and uh, Paige. I like it. I like it. All right, well, there you go. Mixed match challenge. Mixed match challenge, I mean. Same thing, right? I mean, except for it's not the same thing. All right, let's keep on going. We got a couple. You know, we're going to do news after the list, uh, just so we can get this over with. Not that it's in a negative way. I just like to be able to talk of this a little bit longer and not try to, like, speed through this when there's probably about two good news topics uh, out of the four, and we'll definitely get to some of them. But first, let's go over the list. So once again, a little brief thing. Uh, you guys should be listening every week at this point, right? This is episode two of season two. Remember that. Uh, so got at this list. It's all older wrestlers. We're now getting towards the end of the 80s um, with the wrestling li- wrestler lists. Well, I guess I'm going to Giants in here, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so we got another 10 that we're going to go over. we got some old names, and we're going to talk – conversational-like fashion about some comparisons to compare these guys with. Um, And like I said, if you guys want to discuss uh, your opinions of who you can see, um, you know, someone that that resembles or reminds you of in a gimmick way, or maybe their moves or or their in-ring work to a wrestler of today from some of the guys that we're going to list, give us a call at 929-477-477. 3781. You'll be on hold. Press 1 to join the conversation. I am looking at the phone lines right now, so I'll know if you call in. So uh, let, let, let's start this off. To be honest with you, I definitely have an eyelash stuck in my eye, but I'm going to just pretend that it's not like that, and we'll just go on anyways. But if uh, I throw it to Chris, I might be, like, screaming with the mute button on. So just so wanted to give you guys a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes type of stuff. Oh, my gosh. It's driving me crazy. All right. First person on the list, one of me and Chris's favorite wrestlers, one guy that got a lot of people into wrestling, um, one of the most colorful, flamboyant in certain ways, if you will, uh, and also one of the best in-ring workers, one of the best gimmicks, one of the best, um, you know, uh, promos. I mean, macho me and Randy Savage, oh yeah. There are people on this earth that have no idea who the hell Randy Savage is but no, oh, yeah, okay? So I'm going to throw it to Chris uh, for no particular reason involving eyelashes. Uh, and just give me uh, who's someone that reminds you of Macho Man Randy Savage or who has potential to kind of be like this age's Macho Man. Nothing means nothing. Oh, yeah. Uh, right off the bat, uh, I want to go out and I want to go ahead and say Randy Macho Man Savage is one of time. To the point where I've almost gotten a Macho Man tattoo in Drunken State. Um, so <laughs> I love Randy Macho Man Savage. Now, as far as someone with the personality, the bravado, the entire 
package, the character, uh, flamboyancy, your uh, in-ring ability. I picked Velveteen Dream for this, and the reason I will say this is because I think if you can package Velveteen Dream correctly, if you can get him to work on his mic skills and develop his character a little bit more, and maybe get him a valet, you could get a weird androgynous version of Randy Macho Man Savage out of Velveteen Dream that would be phenomenal. So right off the bat, that that is my go-to for this. Um, when you're comparing someone to one of your heroes, it's always really hard, and we'll get to, you know, further down, uh, you know, next on this list is just as hard for me because it's another wrestler that I absolutely love. Uh, but as far as current wrestlers go, and having the over-the-top gimmick and kind of just the bravado and the way you carry yourself and the entrance and uh, just the whole nine, I think that there's a lot that Velveteen Dream can do that can lift him to a platform that's going to make him one of the top stars in the business. What I hope doesn't happen is he kind of gets beside or gets put in the mid-card or ends up kind of like Miz where he's stuck uh, somewhere he shouldn't be because I feel like this guy could be a top star for years to come if he's used correctly. And we've talked about this multiple times on the show and why I think that. But uh, Velveteen Dream is great. I feel like if you get him a good companion of some sort, uh, a valet that he can play off of, similar to Macho Man, you you have money in the bank. Um, I think his character, like I said, is androgynous in a way uh, that's a little different than Macho Man, that you could still have him be overly aggressive, uh, where it's not so chill to do that anymore uh, in modern times toward, towards a female and kind of get the same amount of heat as well as have an over-the-top character. in uh, his moveset, the flying elbow drop, and the way he works hammer locks in, and, and just some of the ring moves he does in general, I could see a lot of Macho Man in him. Um, the other one I came up with was Bailey, and that's mostly just for the way that she works. And, and she's incorporated a ton of uh, Randy Savage's stuff into her moveset over the years because she's the big Randy Savage mark. But uh, right offhand, Velveteen Dream was, was my pick for this one. And I love that answer. And uh, Velveteen Dream actually will come up uh, twice, probably on this list for me. Uh, one that's kind of similar in aspect to this uh, and one that kind of makes more sense that I, I think a lot of people equate him with. But uh, great, brilliant choice. Uh, I could totally see it. Um, you know, you have Brandy, who, even though he's wearing pink and stuff like that, was definitely much more masculine. Uh, Don't touch Elizabeth, oh yeah, uh, brother. But um, I think for me, personally, the person that comes to mind first, and this is not so much because of his gimmick that he started up and got famous off of where he was impersonating Randy Savage. I think if you look at him in the business and how good of an in-ring performer he is, um, and also, you know, the choice of stuff that he chooses to do in the ring, which relates to Randy Savage, one of his favorite wrestlers, uh, is Jay Lethal. Um, and it's, you know, cut the black machismo stuff. I think Jay Lethal literally is the Randy Savage of this generation. I think he's one of the best in-ring performers. Um, I think he's one of the strongest guys in the mic. Uh, I think he's totally zoned in on just himself. Hey, bud, your headset cut out or your mic cut out. Ba, 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 ba. It's just Chris talking into the podcast. 
Um, just to move along while we're waiting on Dane to either reconnect or not connect or whatever's happening, what I would say is uh, that is, is definitely a good pick. I, I see everything Dane is saying. Um, wouldn't have been my go-to, but for sure, very Macho Man-esque. Uh, let me shoot Dane a message and see what happens. All right, so the next on the list we have is Roddy Piper, and uh, when Dane comes back, we'll talk more about Randy Savage, but who I have for Roddy Piper is the villain, Marty Scroll, and the reason that I have the villain, Marty Scroll, uh, is based on his recent Ring of Honor work as well as his uh, New Japan work and sort of the way he carries himself, just a straight, I'm going to kick your ass style, uh, his mic work, basically, I'm going to take on everyone, being kind of the crazy guy. Uh, the other answer I had was Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose, not to the same extent. I feel like Dean Ambrose is uh, an easy pencil in for Roddy Piper that I didn't want to go with, so I went with uh, the villain, Marty Scroll. And we'll see uh, We'll see what Dane's opinion is when he gets back here. So just take a pause and see what's going on. Let me see if I can get in touch with the great Dane. Not the dog, but the person. The other thing about Scroll and uh, Roddy Piper is a lot of the moveset, I, I think it's kind of similar. You get like a reverse pile driver, you get some chicken wings thrown in there. Um, obviously, you have some European uppercuts, low blows, kind of just similar stuff that they would both do in the ring. Of course, Scroll has taken it to a different level because of the way modern wrestling is, but that's kind of where we're at now. Dane, are you back, bud? Hey. I don't know what hey. happened. Um how long have I been gone? Uh, did you even get to hear my Macho Man choices? Uh, I did. I heard we heard part of it, and then it cut out, and I went into Roddy Piper. But go ahead and give us your Macho Man and your Roddy Piper. I just talked about uh, the villain for a while. Marty Scroll was my Piper choice. Oh, uh, I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, all of a sudden, I got a uh, word from my producer, Mr. Jawan that uh, no one could hear us. So that, that was a little bit weird. But anyways, uh, just going back to it, did you hear that I said Jay Lethal? I did. I heard you said Jay Lethal. I heard the uh, reasoning behind it. Uh, not only is he great on the mic, he's a, he's a great in-ring performer, and I can't deny that at all. Um, the only reason I was a little bit hesitant putting him in this spot is because he did a Black Machismo full gimmick with Macho Man, so it was kind of one for one yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but so he's ba- not a bad Basically choice. what I was... What I was trying to get at basically is like, I think he's encompassed that type of concept and he's hugely influenced, um, but he doesn't have a flamboyant nature unless he's impersonating him. Obviously John Morrison was another person and Seth Rollins both attribute some of their work uh, based on Macho Man and their bravado uh, or obviously their moose set. Um, but I was going to throw out and I thought I was, I was, I thought I was talking to the audience and to you, but apparently I was just mumbling to myself before I realized I was off air. But um what was I going to say? Shinsuke Nakamura comes to mind as someone that is not like Randy Savage at all, but is a kind of like Velveteen Dream almost. Uh, is a flamboyant character that stands out, that kind of 
just grasp that same type of concept that I think Savage does. But Jay Lethal definitely is my number one choice. Um, but uh, did you have anything to counter that before I moved to Piper? You already said Marty Skrull? Yeah, for Piper, I had the villain Marty Skrull. I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or not, considering you dropped. Um, but the, the reason I said Marty Skrull is I think that he is playing very much an old-school heel. Um, Absolutely. The way, specifically the way he's worked against Will Ospreay in both Ring of Honor and New Japan, um, the way that he's able to incorporate, you know, some more of the old school heel tactics, the finger break, uh, raking of the eyes, low blows, uh, e- even going back to like such an old school move as the cross face chicken wing. He just seems very, very much like Roddy Piper, and he's good on the mic. Um, if you watch that preview leading into Wrestle Kingdom where he's talking to Kushida and Takahashi and Will Ospreay like we talked about earlier very much got, got kind of got that same Roddy Piper swagger my other fill-in for this would have been Dean Ambrose um, but I feel like Dean Ambrose fits a little better somewhere further down the list uh, so for right now I got the villain uh, matched up with Roddy Piper uh, I mean, honestly, Marty was one of my top choices too. <clears throat> and we've you mentioned Dean Ambrose. Uh, we mentioned earlier how Y2J definitely has some qualities to him that are, especially right now in his current incarnation, very Piper-esque. But I'm going to throw out actually Tetsuya Naito. Um, I know that Naito's a little bit is not as aggressive. I would I would guess he's much more, if you will, tranquilo. But certain parts of him, how rebellious he is. And how, that people have, like, I think JR has compared him to Steve Austin, and I'm like, no, nah, he reminds me more of Piper than Austin, honestly. So as being – these guys all have something in common. I mean, they're heels that are over, and they're rebellious as shit, uh, usually against a certain concept. Marty, not so much. I don't think, like – Piper was against Hulkamania and the rock and roll wrestling and stuff like that. And Naito's obviously against, well, everyone that's not a part of LIJ – um, Dean Ambrose, obviously, you know, he kind of had a similar quality uh, for certain things, but, you know, I feel like Piper is also someone that very, very, very hard to try to figure out someone that's, that's uh, similar to. But, um, yeah. Uh, oh, that's what happened. My internet went out. That's so strange. Uh, did you want to give uh, anything else about that or move on to Andre the Giant? No, I mean, I, I think that the choice that you made is is also, you know, a great comparison. I could definitely see it with Naito, especially with the way he's able to be such a heel in the ring. Um, one great thing about Roddy, a lot of people just see the straight Roddy Piper, you know, interviews and, and what he was able to do on the mic. But when you go back and you watch, like, his actual in-ring work, the way he, that he was able to establish himself as a heel in the ring, um, similar to what we were talking about with Naito, you know, spitting on Akata and open hand slapping him and stuff. This is all stuff that, you know, Roddy was doing, um, stuff that Marty Scroll does. So I, I think they're both great comparisons. And, and Roddy Piper is also hard to pick. I mean, like I said, he's, he's another one of my all-time favorites. So when you start comparing your favorites against, you know, modern, you get into the situation of, like, who's going to be the na- next Wayne Gretzky or the next Tom Brady or the next uh, Michael Jordan? And it just gets weird, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, okay, my computer just restarted. You can still hear me, right? I don't know if yes. I'm having PC problems or Blog Talk is having problems, but 
Um, I don't have a list in front of me. Um, I know that we were on Andre the Giant, but if you actually have that on you, I can pull it up on my phone, Christopher. But first I'll say that the next person on our list is Andre the Giant. Um, I have for him, I think that it's kind of obvious that it should be the big show, but since he's on our list and he's part of the same generational concept before, uh, besides that, I kind of picked it two different people based on one being a giant member of wrestling that is huge and extremely over, at least in his native country of India, with a great Kali. But you also need someone that's a good in-ring performer because that's how Andre was. Andre could throw a drop kick and was the first guy doing tombstones to people back in the day. I mean, he was a very fast, efficient wrestler. So I would assume and say probably that Giant Silva, who was actually big in Japan, um, he's a very large wrestler. I believe he's Hispanic. Uh, he has a look. He grew out his hair just like Andre's. But he's a badass. He's been in the business going, working for New Japan and All Japan and different factions, stuff like that. And uh, he can move. He's uh, just as tall as Great Kali. I think he's like six, sorry, seven, three, seven, four. And, um, I mean, he inherits that type of concept with Andre of being an athlete other than just being a huge wrestler. Um, but, obviously, Kali, just like Andre, they have – I know Bollywood and Hollywood are different, but, I mean, that type of notoriety of being this popular uh, commodity, if you will. But um, who did you have, Chris? Uh, I I also had Kali as well as uh, Braun Strowman. I think there are certain aspects of Braun Strowman, especially when you compare him to young Andre the Giant. The fact that Strowman has specifically said that you know Andre the Giant was one of his heroes and someone that he tries to emulate a bit in the ring. Um, I feel kind of bad because I think the majority of fans would compare Andre closer to Kali as far as in ring goes, just because they're going to be talking about. Later, you know, the Battle Royal for the million dollars against Big John Studd and, you know, the whole well, the whole Hogan match. But in all honesty, if you're able to watch early Andre matches, he was able to move and do a lot more with his body. And I, I consider him a better wrestler than Kali, um, by far, uh, especially when you consider, you know, the time period and what they were able to do. Um, and I kind of put Braun Strowman in the same boat, um, the only other person I could really think of offhand was Matt Morgan, because I think Matt Morgan was a great athlete for seven foot. This would be more early Andre the Giant, but he was never quite as over as Andre. So I, I ended up, you know, scratching him from my list. But I also thought that was a pretty good comparison of just being like such a genetic freak, being so big um, and so powerful that, you know, you have to take notice. I think like Matt Morgan was like, what, seven foot? Put one. I met him in real life, and it's daunting how big the guy is. Um, so he was also on my list because he's also, a, you know, a pretty decent worker. I wouldn't say he's like amazing, but um, pretty damn good, especially considering he's like seven foot, three hundred forty, three hundred fifty pounds. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And I just to let you know, I have the list. Uh, I have everything in front of me again. Um, Andre is. He literally is harder than most people to figure out anything for. Because you can go for every guy that's big, but, I mean, do they have anything that really resembles an ounce of Andre in them? I mean, I don't want to, like I, I keep on trying to say and kind of go around it, but, like, I think Kali should be more like Giant Gonzalez that fought Undertaker uh, in WrestleMania to the worst match that Undertaker's ever had. Um, 
more so than other people. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but we'll, we'll keep on going down the list. Uh, we have another great entry, the, uh, the Iron Sheik. You'll know. Uh, I have for him, Rusev. I think that their personalities are, are similar. Um, I think their run, even though Rusev hasn't gotten the push for the championship belt like, like Iron Sheik received because he's a jabroni, um, I think Rusev it has a type of where he's comedic. I mean, that, that what I just said, jabroni, Rusev day. I mean, but they're also dominant monsters, uh, both not the tallest guys. I think they're both actually 5'10", uh, 5'11", maybe. Uh, but they're dominant, uh, can put on great matches with everyone, and let's just face it. I mean, Rusev's, you know, his finisher is very similar to Sheik's. So that's who I got. Christopher, you got something different? Uh, I had I had Rusev as well. There was another person that I had, but I'm trying to think of his name. Um, uh, Vladimir Kozlov was the other person I had. Um, very similar in gimmicks. Uh, obviously, the Sheik was a little different, being more. I think they portrayed him as, you know, being Iraqi, but they both uh, their finishers were all similar. You both, you, they both had, you know, the camel clutch basically as the finisher, which whatever Rusev calls his something different, but it, I mean, essentially it's a camel clutch, but he throws the arms over his as opposed to leaving them out front. Uh, and then Vladimir Kozlov, I think, I think was very similar. I think that he could have been way bigger than he was and they just didn't know how to use him. Um, so those were the two that I had with Mahler, <laughs> Vladimir Kozlov, and, uh, of course, uh, Rusev, so, um, I think Rusev can be compared to a lot of other wrestlers. I don't want to pigeonhole him just based on his gimmick because I think he's a really great athlete, uh, fucking incredible for his size. Uh, and another thing to remember is just the pure strength of Iron Sheik. Like, Iron Sheik, upper body strength looks fucking incredible. Uh, same as Rusev. Rusev is an absolute monster, and the same as Vladimir Kozlov. So not only were they, you know, kind of all stacked with similar gimmicks, um, but those those were the three that I came up with for that one. So it sounds like uh, next time on 2K, I need to play as uh, Rusev and Kozlov versus maybe Iron Sheik and uh, Nikolai Volkov. Ah, get a crazy thing going. Yeah. Even though, obviously, I think a lot of people are, are expecting us to say the modern day Maharaja, um, but gimmicks are nothing alike, um, except for the fact that they're from another country that. You know, I mean, at least Rusev has a lot in common with Sheik of being colorful and, and stuff. But you might see me say gender, but, I mean, they're not even from the same country. One's India, one's Iraq. So uh, anyone well, yeah, thinking that, I mean, slap, your, slap your hand. Slap your hand. That I mean, that and, you know, Jinder Mahal's not in the same fucking league as the other guys that we've named as far as in-ring ability goes. And I like Jinder Mahal just fine. He's just not – he can't work a match like the other guys we named. And that's even including Kozlov, who wasn't a big wrestler, but he was pretty good in the ring, like way better than, you know, Jinder Mahal. No, I can agree with that. All right, next person is uh, one of my favorite characters from the cartoon classic G.I. Joe, who obviously, uh, besides spinning all over DX, was a big 70s hero and 80s hero named Sergeant Slaughter. Um, I picked Jack Swagger, who I think you picked up for... um, one of the gents earlier, can't remember the first guy did the cross face chicken wing. Why am I blind? Bob Acklin. Um, 
So Jack Swagger had actually the only reason why is like I couldn't figure out anyone. I was going to say Bobby Lashley, but that was only because he was previously in the military, and I wanted to kind of go for that concept. So maybe Bobby Lashley's better. Jack Swagger had a program somewhat with Sergeant Slaughter where they drew a lot of comparisons. And, I mean, you know, Jack Swagger had that American concept going down, except for he was obviously heel. But, um, yeah, I'm going to say Bobby Lashley, actually. I take it back. Bobby Lashley for Sergeant Slaughter. Chris, what do you got? Uh, I actually had Jack Swagger in down for getting the Daidari used him. If I have to give it someone outside of that, that gets a little difficult because I just don't have anything off the top of my head. Um, damn, he's just such a hard one to do because he had such a very, very, very specific gimmick. Um, I want to say yeah, not a lot of people do that, but he had a different gimmick in W. CW, and I'm trying to remember what the hell he was called. It was General something. General um, General Rection. Yeah, General Rection <laughs> uh, was kind of a take on that. They are similar in the ring. Um, but, I mean, like, Jack Swagger is the first person that comes to mind, so I'm going to go with Jack Swagger, even though I had picked him earlier. I just He reminds me of a couple of different people, specifically throughout his career. Jack Swagger was more, you know, when I think of Sergeant Slaughter, I think of, you know, Jack Swagger's almost a heel run that kind of got over with uh, Zeb Coulter when I'm comparing him to Sergeant Slaughter, and I'm more comparing him to, like, heel Sergeant Slaughter, not necessarily babyface Sergeant Slaughter taking down the baddies, you know what I mean? Um, so more like the, uh, where Sergeant Slaughter was hanging out with Sheik, basically. Um, and Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger, along with Alberto Del Patron, I think that that is probably the closest comparison in modern years. I'm sure if I dug deep enough, I could find someone else, but that would be my go-to right now. No, I I like the comparison to Bill DeMont. That was actually a good one. I mean, Bill DeMont, if you, you know, didn't know uh, a lot about stuff that happened uh, behind the curtain, Bill DeMont was one of the big trainers for the WWE and uh, apparently acted like a fucking dickhead and all that, but he definitely had that type of persona with General Rection. Um, well, I forgot that whole team of people. It was like Booker T, him, man, late WCW in the 90s. Holy crap. But anyways, let's keep on going. Uh, let's let's go to our, our next uh, person. Alright, we're down to Greg the Hammer Valentine. I picked out two people. Um, one was Tim Storm, um, not really a modern concept, but he's popular now. But both leathered down, old, you know, but badass, like, don't mess with me. I can still beat your ass in a bar type of concepts. That was a big Steve Carino, the old school. Um, I love Steve Carino, and I feel like Greg and him, him and Greg are both, like, man's man's. Um, Silas Young could definitely have, like, a concept in there, too, from Ring of Honor of being someone that would be – Southside is actually really, really good. He's literally called the man's man. But, I mean, whoever's going to go against him, do not do an Indian strap match because you will be bloodied and have your hearing screwed up just like Piper's. Uh, Chris, who do you got for Greg the Hammer Valentine? I actually have Rob Conway, which sounds like a weird choice, but if you see the way they wrestle in the ring, um, the fact that they've actually wrestled each other before, they're very similar. Um, their styles, they're personalities and their gimmicks not so much 
their in-ring work, I, I think Rob the Hammer, uh, Rob Conway and Greg the Hammer um, are kind of a, a, a good match. And then um, I also had Steve Carino because Steve Carino kind of has that Greg Valentine swagger. Um, there's a really great promo by Rick Flair where he's cutting a promo on Greg the Valentine. He's like, Greg, if you want a real robe, I'll let you borrow one of mine, but your arms aren't big enough to fill up the sleeves, which is <laughs> pretty fucking Damn. I don't know why I just thought about that, but Rick, Rick Flair is the best. Um, I will say this about Greg the Hammer Valentine. I met him. He is a super, super nice guy uh, in person. And uh, he's just a hard person to compare to because he wasn't always at the very top. He was utilized as kind of a mid-card guy a lot of times towards the later of his career. Um, but he was a phenomenal wrestler in the ring. And I think Rob Conway kind of falls into that category too where I think he was misused a lot. I think he could have been a lot bigger than he was. Uh, so that's probably my comparison. And I'm sure there's someone else I'll think of after the fact. And I love Greg the Hammer Valentine. But uh, th- those were the two that, that came to mind. Right off. You definitely need someone that's rugged. Uh, I think that's that's one of the – I mean, it's kind of like he's a cowboy, but he's not a cowboy. It's the same type of concept. But, uh, yeah, Greg the Hammer Valentine, badass heel, badass wrestler. Let's move on to, uh, I think, Chris, and this is your favorite wrestler of all time. <laughs> Uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, not gonna pretend that I was a big Ultimate Warrior fan. I loved Hulk Hogan. Uh, when he won the title, I thought it was bullshit. Um, there's a lot of stuff to say about Warrior. Was he the greatest in ring guy? No, not by any shot. Did he stiff the shit out of people? Uh, yes. Uh, there's a lot of his personal stuff kind of in question, especially when they're doing Warrior Wars on WWE based on stuff that he said about, you know, homosexuals and whatnot. Yeah, kind of. But let's go for more the draw that Warrior was, the concept and the gimmick, um, the presentation, all things. People are influenced by him. Tamatanga, he admits he's a huge Warrior mark. Um, I'm going to say that Joe Kofi, obviously guy influenced by Warrior. You know, the Iron Man from Britain – Obviously, he plays, like, guitar to the ring and has some more gimmicks, but a lot of explosive stuff. Loves to do the face paint. Um, seen some great matches. If you guys don't know who John Co- Joe Kofi is, search his name. You can find a free match right away with him and Kurt Angle. Um, great wrestler. I'm like Warrior. <laughs> Tomatonga is also someone. I would love to see Hanson, not the band, um, Hanson from War Machine go against Warrior and just show him a little bit in the ring. But if you were to go by the concept of Warrior with his gimmick, when it comes to me of someone that's in the ring babbling a bunch of crazy shit, acting like they're an entity, yes, Warrior is not as organized, but then you kind of compare with guys like Bray Wyatt and Broken Matt Hardy. So my first choice is Joe Kofi, but I definitely wanted to kind of throw some stuff out there. If you, if you look at their, their stuff back-to-back, between Broken Matt and Ultimate Warrior, doesn't matter if it's Impact stuff or just modern stuff with WWE. Yeah, Matt's got a hell of a lot. He's not taking himself seriously. He's playing a character. But they're so fucking similar to what the weirdness that they're saying. The only difference is Ultimate Warrior, you have no idea where he's going with it. You know, he talks about, like, red beams coming from the suns and destroying Hulkamania from space and all a bunch of wacky shit. Chris, who do you get for the Ultimate Warrior? 
man, it was really, really hard for me to pick anyone just because all of the people I could think of are better wrestlers than Ultimate Warrior. Um, not only that, but his physique is just insane to a point where it's hard to just, like, pick someone. Um, I might get some hate for this one, but I picked Damian 666, who was a Latino wrestler from Mexico. Um, he kind of got big and, and when he was he was in WCW for a little bit and then back in, in AAA. He also may be too early like for, to compare to Warrior. So I, I have a hang up on this one just because like to me Ultimate Warrior was a great gimmick and a great promo. Um, and nowadays with the quality of work that's required for wrestlers it's really hard to just pick someone like even close to him. Um, if I had to pick someone, it would be, God, what is that guy's name? It was Mrs. Uh, bodyguard for a while. And he's not even that bad of a wrestler. God, see, I, I have no one for warrior because I think warrior is terrible. Is it Tyson Tonko? No, that would be a good one though. Honestly, man, I'm going to have to pass on this one just because I, like, honestly, I would take him off the list because I don't consider him one of the top 100 greatest wrestlers. I would throw him more in, like, top 100 greatest gimmicks um, and greatest physiques. But, like, his in-ring ability, he had some good matches with Rick Rude and some good matches with Randy Savage and, and a spectacle with Hulk Hogan. But other than that, like, he was pretty fucking awful. Just overall, like every everything about Ultimate Warrior from his personality. Um, Alex Riley was who I was thinking of because well, I who think, do you think would, would, over... would, uh, who do you think would win in promo battle between Warrior and Broken Matt Hardy? Probably Broken Matt Hardy because, like, at the end of the day, Matt Hardy's stuff is funnier, and and you can understand <laughs> what he's saying. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I don't know, man. I like. I I used to be a huge Warrior fan as a kid, so like I understand the importance of Ultimate Warrior because as a child, I fucking loved Ultimate Warrior. I thought he was like the coolest thing ever. Most of it was the fact that he actually looked like a superhero with a face paint and how just jacked he was. Um, even in comparison to someone like Hulk Hogan, who was like super, you know, jacked even at that time period. When you look at like. Uh, Ultimate Warrior versus like the guys that they had him like Honky Tonk Man and the people they had him wrestling against. He looks like a superhero. He talks about our space. And he was completely fucking out there. There is no one really like that now, especially when you start looking at the in-ring work. Uh, so Ultimate Warrior was hard for me just because like comparing someone to Ultimate Warrior based on not personality alone is a really shitty thing to kind of do to someone that takes themselves seriously as a professional wrestler, at least in my opinion. No, and I, I can agree with you. It's just crazy because, just like you, there's so many great wrestlers that are influenced by him, at least in a way of, like, like Batista said it. And, uh, you know, I know that we're both not hot about um, Sheamus, but that was one of his favorite wrestlers. And uh, it seems like a lot of guys that are jacked out of their mind, but it's also like Joe Kofi's not jacked out of his mind. He's wearing the paint because, and acting like a space alien because of that concept. So, um, yeah, I'd say I want... Broken Matt Hardy or Bray Wyatt to go against him in promos. 
Joe Kofi to go against him, or it kind of reminds me of the most, and I'd like to see Hampton from from War Machine go against him in the ring. I think that would be the, the most fun. But let's let's move on to oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Man, all three character people that I picked for this, Chris. Um, yeah, I feel bad um, because I love Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but he's had a gimmick, and uh, I have Eric Young as my uh, main choice. Um, but I'm not going. I'm, I'm going to say that for their lovability and their quality with their gimmick, I'm going to throw also Eugene and Yano out there. Eugene's probably the worst. <laughs> honestly, that that gimmick should not. Uh, should, it shouldn't have happened. But Eugene was also paired with Jim Duggan during that time period a lot. So I guess Duggan had no problem with it. If you know who Eugene is, he's the second guy that did Doink Clown. Um, I forgot what his real name is, but he's actually a really nice guy in real life. But Eugene was a mentally handicapped character that they rolled with in WWE for a lot longer than they should have. Uh, Yano also has qualities like that. He does some heel shits so that's different from Hacksaw because yeah, Hacksaw wouldn't do that shit. Eric Young's actually a great in-ring worker, has had that type of gimmick, has had lovability when it comes to people liking him with TNA. Also, you know, he plays the heel, but he, he couldn't stay heel for long. They still liked him no matter what. So I think he's the best choice. Who do you got? I had Chuck Palumbo and Mike Awesome. Um, I think they're similar for different reasons. A lot to do with the size of like 665, 300 pounds. But they work very similar styles in the ring. Uh, and then Mike Awesome, his probably his biggest run, his ECW stuff I think was really, really, like, kind of great, um, but more of, like, you know, earlier in his career. But his WCW stuff where he basically was, like, disco, <laughs> Mike R, that 70s dude, I thought was a very specific gimmick in the same way as Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, like, hung on to a gimmick that, you know, kind of aged in a bad way, but people loved it because it was kind of a B-side thing. And I picked Chuck Palumbo because I think, like, Chuck Palumbo is very similar in the ring as far as, like, the way they, they wrestled. But those, those were my two. And, and neither of them are, like, huge stars. But then again, like, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, um, the time that he would have had to be a, a huge star, him and Shiki got caught in the car with marijuana, and both heel and face, and that kind of, derailed his career, and I think he did great stuff in WCW as, like, a uh, open-match mid-card guy. I think a lot of people really liked his personality, his character, but I never considered him a top guy. So putting him on the level of Mike Awesome and, uh, like, Chuck Palumbo to me is not really an insult to Hackball Jim Duggan, even though I think he could have been way bigger than he was, and obviously that happened. Uh, but those are the two that come to mind right off the bat, Mike Awesome and Chuck Palumbo, which... Uh, doesn't really sound like a compliment for Hacksaw, but um, both those guys are good wrestlers, and, and they both have the similar size, and they work very similar style. So that was my go-to for him. Yeah. Um, funny you said Mike Awesome, and uh, Rustin Beaks Mike Awesome. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I automatically thought about his well, – the Japanese organization that he was a part of where he had, like, an ultimate warrior – uh, like concept gimmick called the gladiator. Remember that craziness? Uh, when he was taking on like, um, yeah. what's Mr. Mr. Pogo and Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. And yeah, yeah I do. Back- I, I can't remember if that was God. Was that, was that FTW maybe or all Japan? It'd have been one of the two. Yep. Probably. It was but. FCW. 
It was Anita's organization for sure, man. It was such crap. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Mike Awesome was a great wrestler. Not a lot happened to him. For his size, he did some pretty crazy stuff. But I love that comparison that you made. But uh, let's go on. we got two more guys. Um, Earthquake, John Tenta, uh, badass, big dude, uh, could move in the ring. Uh, not, not a high flyer or anything like that. And the funny thing is, both guys that I have for him to go against, Actually, no, I'm going to go Killian Dane and Eric Rowan. Um, Eric Rowan would be a lot of fun just because, man, those guys are both monsters in size. And they're also, Eric's not too agile to being able to do, like, you know, cannonballs like Killian Dane does and moonsaults and stuff. So it would be much more of like a Haas battle. And um, I think that John might, he no, he is a better in-ring performer, but Eric's at the beginning of his career, so... Who knows what's going to happen with Rowan. Uh, man, now I want to see Natural Disasters versus uh, the Bludgeon Brothers. That would be a fun match. But, uh, Chris, who do you have for Earthquake, a.k.a. John Tenta, a.k.a. the Shark? I, mean, I had the same pair you AKA had, Avalanche. honestly. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I think that they're both going to be better tag team wrestlers than single wrestlers, and along with the size. Um, Eric Rowan is a great comparison, but Killian Dane is also – a good comparison. Obviously, Killian Dane is able to do a lot more than Earthquake was. Uh, but the Natural Disasters were a super fun tag team. I really like, uh, I believe he was, all, he was also Tugboat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so as a kid, I absolutely loved yep. that. Was he, the sh- he was the shark as well. Um, I mean, he was a guy that got saddled with some bad gimmicks over the years. I think he made him work, and I think he was a great tag team wrestler. I think his tag team matches are a lot of fun to watch. And, and, and to some extent, that reminds me of Eric Rowan and uh, – God, what is his name? Fuck. The guy that looks Luke like Harper. Bruce Brody. <laughs> Luke Harper, yes. <laughs> uh, to some extent, he reminds me of the Eric Rowan of that uh, tag team, even though he would probably be more of the lead like Luke Harper in a tag team. But um, Eric Rowan is a good comparison because – they, I mean, neither of them are going to be the best on the mic, but they're both solid in-ring performers. They both have the size, uh, the intensity in the ring. I think that is a good comparison. Killian Dane, I think, could break off, but he works really well uh, where he's at Sanity. So. Um, those are the two that I also came up with. We, we had the same ones on that. Booyah, Hakusha. You'll see Killian Dane later on for me as well because the guy's talented. Um but let's get our last one, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, I've said this many times. Um, heel Randy Orton. Uh, just even if you watch them, I, well, there is no doubt Randy Orton has said that Jake is one of his favorite wrestlers of all time. Uh, he modeled a lot of the stuff, like, in-ring-wise. Um, I'm not going to say Jake's one of the best psychologists in ring probably of all time. Uh, so, of course, Randy's not going to be able to attribute that, but certain movements, certain ways that he would move, certain ways that he would speak uh, for, for promos when he was a heel reminds me of Jake Snake Roberts and the fact that Randy can't stay heel because no matter what he's over, Jake had that same problem. Um, if I'm going to go a little bit more out of the box, I would say Aleister Black um, has qualities that kind of remind me of Jake a little bit. He has qualities that remind me of other people, too, that we'll get to. Um, Suzuki's also just as intimidating, but for a different type of psychological level. But I feel like everyone's going to want us to say Bray Wyatt, and 
I just don't see as much of a Bray Wyatt comparison as I do Randy Orton or even maybe Aleister Black a little bit. With It's all about being a badass gimmick like that that's terrifying, kind of mystical but not really, and being such a great in-ring worker with psychology as well as a good worker itself. It's a hard concept. Jake's a badass wrestler. Chris, who do you got? You're going to hate me, but I, I picked Bray Wyatt for this, specifically with his first run with the uh, I don't hate family him. going up against the Shield. I think that his promos, I think that he could learn a lot from Jake the Snake. Um, and that Jake the Snake could also be a good manager for him if they wanted to do something with Jake um, along that line. Um, but, I mean, right off the bat, the first person that came to mind was Raven. Uh, who I think is yeah. the in-between between like a Jake the Snake or Aleister Black or a uh, Bray Wyatt to some extent. Because to me, Raven is, is, even from the DDT, is just a Jake the Snake clone who kind of took that character in a different direction. I think Raven is on our list later, maybe. Um, but he was he was my top choice, and then I realized he's like the the Raven that I'm talking about, ECW Raven is mid nineties. So then I went with Bray Wyatt because I feel like Bray Wyatt is the closest you're going to see to Raven. And I think Raven is the closest you're going to see to Jake, the snake, uh, at least recently. But I also like the Suzuki comparison, especially if you get some English translation on his promos, he's kind of um, definitely a scary figure, but uh, Jake, Jake, the snake's unique. And I mean, he didn't even want that gimmick to begin with. And then he realized how big it was going to be when Vince described it to him and he took it on. He kind of made it his own. He's the king of promos. He's really great at it. The only thing that I'll say is different between Jake and like Bray Wyatt, because Bray Wyatt's great on the mic, is he's able to make it relatable um, back to the match. Uh, he's, he's able to get back to the match where he needs to be and talk about why he wants to kick the guy's ass. And a lot of times I feel like Bray Wyatt doesn't do that. And I've said that multiple times on this show. I think if Bray could just turn that corner of why he's saying the things he's saying and why he's so upset at this person, it would make his promos mean a lot more. Um, hey, as far well, as like, you know what's crazy, what Chris, is that Jake has, has put his hand out to both Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton saying that he'd love to help them because those are his two favorite wrestlers. So there's definitely something to be compared by. But, hey, guys, thank you so much. Our show is ending literally right now. I hope you guys have a great night. Check us out next week. Check us out Sunday for wrestling or for, for Geek Fives Live. And have a good one. All right. Peace out, guys. See you.